0: Hello and welcome to this episode of The S Podcasts. I have two of my great friends with me today, Roger Armstrong and the journalist Paul Brown. We're hoping to spend the next hour looking back on, on the season. And I think we're going to start with the, um, with the notion that the club has made progress or not. Uh, Denise Barrett-Baxendel over the weekend wrote to all supporters actually on Saturday before, before Sunday's game. And said that clear progress had been made, so I think that's probably a decent place to start. Um, Good afternoon to both of
1: you. Good afternoon, Paul.
0: Right, who wants to start? Roger, do you? um,
1: You're opening. Come to me first. Your
0: opening thoughts on uh, clear progress.
1: Look, you can make a case that there has been clear progress, just like Matt Hancock can make a case that he hasn't been telling lies, Um, but that progress would be based upon a finishing position of 10th rather than a finishing position of 12th and a points return of um, 59, uh, which is a clear improvement on the previous season. Um, I think that's where the conversation starts. And when I, talk about progress or when I would say that we had progressed is if there had been some consistency and there has been some rather negative consistency in terms of poor performances. There's been some quite negative consistency in terms of style of football or absence of a a positive engaging style of football by the first half dozen or 10 so games. And it's almost like this season has been turned on its head. I said the other day to someone that we put in our best performance in the opening game, I think, away at Tottenham. So many good things and positives to take out of that. And absolutely our worst performance in the final game of the season. Um, and, and so it's hard to see progress when we were second on Boxing Day and 10th at the end of our 38th match. That, that That's how I would put it. I'll, I'll come back to that in a
0: few minutes, Roger, because I, I have a theory as to why. One, of the, well, I have a number of theories as to why possibly the season, as you say, started off you know, very strongly, playing attractive football, etc., and then has you know, f- faded out to the point where uh, that, that we all saw on, on, on Sunday. Paul, uh, what, what's your view in terms of um, the progress that the club has made over the, over the last uh, what nine, ten months?
2: Well, it's baby steps, isn't it? You can't call it anything else. Um, I think for the for the outlay and the players they brought in under the manager they've got, you'd be expecting better than a couple of positions higher in the league and, and a handful of points. Um, just about scraping into the, the top ten with a, a negative goal difference is you know, a season of failure really, with, with no trophies and no European football. That was the aim this season. So you couldn't call it a, a huge success. Um They've inched forward, and I think the squad looks better now than than it did, obviously, because of the people he brought in. Um, they've had some marvellous results along the way. The, the away wins, um, Liverpool, Arsenal and, and Spurs, obviously, are all moments to, to treasure if you're a fan. But there have been some absolutely dreadful performances at home to balance that out. And it's strange, I suppose, from what, what Roger was saying, if you'd reversed the season and you'd had... Um, the start to, to the season, at the end of the season, we probably would have be, go- be going into the summer with a, with a quite different attitude. We'd be much more optimistic, wouldn't we? But we are where we are. And I, I can't see that huge progress has been made, no.
0: It's, the, the issue for me is um, sort of, actually, the very point that you're just making, it's, it's the fact that we started off so strongly and now we look like a completely different side to the side that sort of you know kicked off in, what was it? September when when it went when the season started. Um, progress to me means uh, actually, well, it means it means a, num- a number of things. But one of the, one of the things surely about whether we've progressed or not is what what were the objectives at the beginning of the season, and have we either met those objectives, or have we indeed um, outperformed those objectives? And I think that's actually how you how you define uh, progress in terms of what were the objectives of the season and then how did we how did we come up against those objectives and it's it's clear to me almost on every every metric that you uh that we have fallen short of um any ideas that we might have had at the beginning of the season
2: yeah i think that's fair i mean they, they obviously were aiming for higher in the league they were aiming for much better performances than they've got, and they, they wanted more out of, out of the players they signed. Um, I keep hearing people excusing Ancelotti by saying that the squad's not good enough, but that would be, that would have been more of a, a valid argument when he had us on, on the, the cusp of the top six and we were comparing squads with the likes of Leicester and West Ham, but Everton finished below Leeds in the table. They've only just been promoted, and you can't rationally claim that, that Leeds have a, a more talented squad than than Everton's. It's just been... It's just they have a, a team that's been coached into a better, more coherent unit with a defined style of play and and better ideas. And they have players who, who believe in um, what the coach is trying to do. I'm, I'm not sure Everton could say the same at the moment, really. So you can't really excuse the manager from all blame here. Um, he's the one behind the wheel and he's the one who has to take some of the responsibility. So I think, obviously, our, um, Everton need, need upgrades in several areas. And they were... Um, hamstrung by injury at key times. I mean, the start we had all relied on um, a number of very big players performing exceptionally well, but breaking down very quickly. Now, the the problem we have there, though, is that Everton knew when they signed people like James and and Allen that their bodies might not be up to the strain of a full Premier League season. They still took the risk and signed them at the age and level of fitness they were at. So they, again, only really have themselves to blame for that. And that those are both signings that, while they've made the club much better and stronger in the, in the positions they play in, were ultimately ones that Ancelotti pushed for. Have they been the, the, the success he hoped? Probably not, because they just haven't been out there enough fully fit.
1: When you talk about the squad being better, Paul, I mean, <clears throat> there's this debate that goes on between, you know, first 11, how many players we are shy of a first 11, and how many players we are shy of a 24, 25-man squad. Do you, do you genuinely, genuinely think that the squad that we end with is better than the one we started with? This season? Yeah, because what I'm talking about here is depth. Because beyond, beyond the first 11, as we've seen with some of these absurd benches with two and three keepers on and, and injured Seamus Coleman on the bench, there is there is literally no depth. The squad is you know has the depth of a puddle in a desert.
2: Um, well, I think you have to compare it to what he had before, don't you? If you're if you're comparing um, squads, really, because last season he finished twelfth, and he's added James, Allen, Decoré, and, and Godfrey, who have all improved his team markedly. So
1: okay, so- but 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 also Theo Walcott was a squad player, and Moise Keane was a squad player and 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 they've disappeared um so so it's not it's not just that I, I i appreciate and agree that alana's made a difference and that the has made a difference and both were a little unlucky with injury but both are in their late 20s you may expect them now to be getting injured a little more hamas is a game changer he's a, he's an absolutely fantastic footballer but he's coming to the twilight of his career and has some fitness issues of his own. So they themselves, we can't expect those three to produce 38 games a season. Godfrey, unqualified success. But in terms of options, in terms of options from the bench, you know, we just haven't had any. And and, and in games of football where you're up against it, you know, what is it, seven points we've got from losing positions, which is the lowest in the league. We just have either... Nick a goal and cling on for for grim death. Uh, And
2: once we concede, once we go behind, that's it. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with any of that. All I'm saying is that the four players they brought in have all improved the the team. So on on paper, that squad is stronger than it was last season. The the players you talk about who aren't there anymore were literally not contributing to anything at Everton. I I can't really point to anything that Moyes Keane or Theo Walcott did that improved the squad. Really, can you? I mean, I, I wouldn't well, call either those two good options off the bench, or better options than Ancelotti has now. Really,
1: I, I think Theo Walcott's a better option off the bench than Josh King. And and tell me, tell me who we've replaced Moyes Keane with? Because there's no one.
2: No, well, I mean, King was supposed to be the one who, who replaced Keane, wasn't he? In, in a way, as as backup for, as a backup striker behind Ricarlison. But you know, I, I still feel if you make four good signings to a team. That finished in in one position, you'd be expected to improve it beyond two places higher in the table. Really, no, I wouldn't argue with that. I think I I think so. I mean, Paul, the the, the point
1: about um, uh, you know the season and looking across the season, whether it's upside down, we started well and finished badly. It's just that whenever we sort of saw an opportunity, and whenever gains really mattered, because we got ourselves in a position to capitalize on some good results, you know, some of those home fixtures that we lost. you know, you look at how teams like Liverpool and Arsenal, how strongly they finished the season, both of them with five wins on the spin, how strongly Leeds finished the season, four wins out of five. And and we just went out with an absolute whimper. We put ourselves in a really, really strong position. And, and even given a lot of those home defeats, if we'd have managed to beat um, Sheffield United, and if we'd have managed to beat Aston Villa... We'd have been in Europa League football, even with all the other ridiculous errors. And, and we just couldn't seem to get ourselves up when it really, really mattered. And that's not a sign of progress in my book.
2: No, you know, I, I, I agree with that, really. I think when you look at, if you take the manager, for instance, and you think what makes a good manager, there's probably three or four things you you um, evaluate them for, right? You say, does he improve his players? Yep. Well, if you look at, look at Carlo with Everton, it's a yes and no on, on certain people, isn't it, really? Dominic Calvert-Lewin obviously has taken massive strides under Ancelotti, and that is firmly down to him, I would say. Um, Michael Keane has improved massively as a footballer under Carlo Ancelotti as well, although the last few games of the season wow. he's regress again, so yeah. whether you put him firmly in that camp, I don't know. Tom Davis took strides this season. Yes, he did. He even, he even at times managed to get a tune out of Gilfie Sigurdsson, who ended the season with more goals and assists than Hammers, which is, I don't think anyone probably saw happening when they signed um, when they signed him this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other players in the squad who've got markedly worse. I can't remember, Mason Holgate, having a worse season than this. And, and no. I think he was Everton's best defender for a while under Ancelotti. So uh, question marks to, to ask there. But some of these things are down to the changes that Carlo made to the system and, and the formation and, and whether the players are totally suited to it and whether they enjoy playing it, I guess. Um, but that's only one small point of it, What's one small part of it. You also say, does, does the manager inspire his players? Well, I think most people would say there have been too many times this season when Everton have started a game really flat and with completely yeah. the wrong attitude. You think back to Pickford's comment after the, um, I think it was after the Sheffield United game, wasn't it? When he, he yes, said was. they beat us on attitude, even though they've just been relegated. And that sort of sums up, you know, quite, quite how pathetic some of those performances were at the end of the season. Um, and yet at the same time you'll hear people at Everton saying that this is the first time we've had the belief to go to places like Liverpool, Spurs and Arsenal and really think we're going to win and pull off those those victories. So again it's it's hit and miss. He's had some he's had some hits and he's had a lot of misses too. Also you would say does a manager make shrewd signings? Well, as we touched on before, I would say all all of the four that that came in were all shrewd signings and all improved the team, but they came with various levels of risk and Ancelotti probably pushed the club into risking um, more than Marcel Brands would have liked, bringing in people like Alan and James. Now, both good players. How much you can rely on them over a season? I don't know. Could, can we rely on, on James to be the focal point, the creator, over a whole season for Everton next season? I would argue that his body probably isn't going to give us that. So can you build a team around him, or do you have to start looking at, at different in, in, in different areas, you know? Um, all these things you have to you have to make a judgment call on, but ultimately it comes down to to what Ancelotti chose to do this season, and I still think the way we started and the way we end the way we ended, okay, they were completely different, but he was dealt a different set of circumstances halfway through the season, and he started with one tactical plan and had to tear it up and start again, and I do think he made the right decision when he lost key players to injury when he did, that. He would have to make this a much more pragmatic, negative, defensive team. The issue with that, I think, is that I still don't see and haven't seen for weeks any kind of defined training ground movement or planning being played out on the pitch in front of us every week. And it's exactly the same trap that Mourinho fell into at Spurs. For a long time at Spurs, his critics were complaining that when you watch Spurs play if they get their noses in front, they just desperately try to cling on. But there is no, even if they're, they're looking for another goal, there is no kind of um, attacking game plan. You can't see a defined set of movement from the players. You can't see third man runs or something that's been worked on for hours on the training ground. And you can say, oh, they've learnt that. That's, that's telepathic. They know what they're doing there. I think Ancelotti's fallen into the same trap there. For whatever reason, there might be different reasons for it, um, But even when, even in the games Everton have sneaked over the lining where they've won by the odd goal, you can't see any kind of joined-up thinking, really, in the attacking play. They've been pretty good defensively, but I can't see movements and patterns that have been worked on. And the players all know it's almost as if, a bit like Mourinho does at his team, He's, he's allowed people to go out there and try and play their own game and come up with something special a bit too much. And... I don't think that really worked, so again there's questions for
0: him there hmm. interesting just listening to some of the things that you you you've both said but in particular paul if and i i accept your argument that the squad is stronger um through through the the acquisitions in the late part of last summer um but if the squad is is stronger uh if we have and we've had a better manager than we had previously for a whole season um, it almost makes the situation in terms of the the amount of progress it all, almost makes that situation seem even worse because one would think with with those improvements in the squad with the individuals that came in except entirely the limitations in terms of you know fitness and Willing or ability to play every game, I accept all that entirely, and with Carlo having had a whole year now with this group of players, um, one would expect not only to have seen what we saw at the beginning of the season, but to see a sort of a pattern evolve as, as the season went on, on and a sort of you know a gradual sort of improvement in in the team and in the manner in which we play football, and therefore, obviously, the results. And actually, what we've seen is, is the reverse of that. And that, that must be uh, deeply worrying for, for Carlo Angelotti that uh, either he himself has failed in his duty to uh, create the situation where that progress uh, can be seen and can be seen consistently game after game after game, or whether or not the players that he has brought in and the players that were uh, at the club when he arrived are actually just not capable of doing um, the stuff that he wants them to do.
2: I think it's a bit of both. I mean, it's it's, it's a fair point. But if, if you think back to the way Everton started the season, think about all the little tactical things or, or good bits of coaching you've seen from Ancelotti this season. I would say we started the season with um, a defined style of play. Which relied very much on Hamez dropping deep on the right to pull a fallback out of position, opening space either for the overlap outside him or a trademark crossfield ball, switch of play to the other side for someone like Ricarlison or Lucas Dean bombing on down the left. Okay, that's a good little tactical plan, and and it was something that teams hadn't seen from Everton before. But what else did we see really in those first few weeks? Because as soon as teams started to work out how to stop that. How to either put someone on Ricarlison, uh, uh, sorry, on on James, or tell the fullback not to follow him out so that space is not vacated. It it soon became apparent Everton didn't have another way around teams. And, and while while they buzzed and they looked energetic and have playing full of verve and scoring goals at that time, I wondered even then, you know, what what else is there? What else can they rely on if that doesn't work, or if for some reason you? One of those players isn't in the team. I don't really think he's come up with another answer since then. But he obviously saw the problem. um, And having lost people like Hannes, reverted to this very deep, counter-attacking pragmatic style. And I still think it, it was the right thing to do. But Everton have regressed because teams started to work them out. And the test of a good coach and a good manager is what they do once other teams start to do that. It's been the downfall of, of most coaches at Everton, even the ones that have started. Well, it was Martinez's downfall. Started pretty well, you have to say, you know, blowing some teams away, playing brilliant football. But after a while, once teams start to work that out and make it more difficult for you, you have to find something else and you have to get the balance right. I don't think he ever did. And I don't think Carlo has yet either. Now, he started to say things towards the end of the season, which give you hints about, what direction he wants to go in and where he thinks the squad is lacking, and it sounds very much to me like he's now set on this idea of playing a back three with wing backs and a much more solid midfield and having two forwards up top. Um, if he's going to do that, then you can guess where some of the recruitment is going to come. But it does also mean that the one the one little hint he keeps giving is he wants a, a more of a ball playing defender. And more of a ball playing midfielder, and, and that's okay. But they're both areas of the pitch where Everton have already strengthened in the last couple of windows. So, you know, are they now recruiting to a different plan than they were? Has, has what he wanted to do changed into something else? That's what. That's the, the question he needs to answer, I think.
0: Roger, you've gone very quiet.
1: No, I'm just thinking about progress and over what time we we're, we're, you know we're, we're measuring this progress because. You know, this is this is quite scary that in the 10 seasons before Mashiri arrived at Everton, our average league position was seventh, just above seventh, or just below seventh, point seven, 7. two. And we averaged 58.6 points in those seasons. And in the five seasons since Mashiri arrived, the five full seasons, so started in 16, 17 with Kuban, and we made 61 points and seventh. And then 49 points in 8, 54 points in 8, 49 points in 12, and 59 points in 10. Um, our average over those five seasons is 54 points. That's four points less than we averaged for the 10 years that we were plucky old Everton knife to a gunfight. Um, and, and our average league position under Mashiri is ninth. So, progress. Uh, it's... Um, It's hard to spot it across the board. There's no doubt that there's been progress in some areas and some areas off the pitch as well as on the pitch. But it's about consistency and establishing ourselves. Look how Leicester struggled to just get over the line into that Champions League place. And look how hard they've worked and how much time and effort they've put in. Coaching and recruitment, changing managers, and they won an FA Cup. But even they fell short of the Champions League for the second season in a row, just towards the end. Um, And and people will say that 59 points is a good return. It's indeed 10 points more than last year. And arguably, it would get you uh, higher up the league, you might think. The reality is that only twice in the last 10 years would 59 points have got you sixth. Uh, And with a negative goal difference, it wouldn't have got you there in 1920 when Spurs made it with 59 the only previous time is in 10-11 when Liverpool was sixth with 58 points. So, you know, it's a funny season for many, many different reasons. No crowds and, you know, different times of games. But I think progress, it's very, very difficult to make a compelling case for progress as, as consistently and unequivocally as we would have hoped for having invested and having got our world-class manager.
2: I think that's very consistent that record, consistently average
1: That's a very good point.
2: That's a very good point. And my concern is that whilst
1: Carlo's a world-class manager, and we'd like to say we've got a world-class manager, is that world-class manager going to be happy piddling around between 10th and 9th and 7th for the next two or three years? Um, Especially when there are other clubs looking for managers right now. PSG, arguably. Well, Madrid arguably, Tottenham arguably, Inter Milan, you know, clubs where maybe Carlo Ancelotti is a, an attractive proposition. And 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 which way round is it? Is this is this the club letting Carlo down, or is it Carlo letting the club down? Very
2: difficult question. I think that's the wrong focus, though. Really, I mean, you know, you. you... For anyone, for anyone to mention Carlo Ancelotti in, in the same breath as, as those clubs, it seems a bit slightly absurd, really, because you know he's not been doing a massively, excitingly great job at Everton, and he he didn't really leave Napoli under um, successful circumstances either. So you wouldn't really think that that some of those clubs are going to be falling over backwards to to bring him in. and for Well, someone well let me put he, the counter to that, Paul. The,
1: Paul. the counter to that is that Carlo's most successful phases of his career is when he went into big clubs with an established, high-quality roster of players, be that Chelsea, be that Munich, be that Madrid, uh, and PSG as
2: well, arguably, tweaked it a little bit and turned them into winners. Absolutely. And, and the criticism of him has always been that that's the kind of coach he is and that he's never... Had the chance to, to build something from a you know perhaps a smaller base um, yeah. and maybe that's partly what appealed to him about Everton and there's no reason why really he, he's not capable of doing that I mean the criticism obviously is there that um, he's not someone who sticks around long he comes he comes into an already successful team tinkers with it and um, you know makes it successful again perhaps after a after a blip. Um, but I just think that the focus shouldn't really be on whether Carlo might walk away. It, it's about, you know, how much pressure he should be under for the salary that he gets. I mean, Everton pay him a lot of money, and I think they were expecting better than 10th, frankly.
1: And that, that's I wouldn't, that's no, my no, I wouldn't
2: disagree. I wouldn't disagree with that at all,
1: but I'm also putting the counter argument um, that that a club like PSG might go, do you know what? Carlo's exactly what we need now. We've just done Tuchel and he's walked and Poch has done the dirty honors. And gone back to Tottenham, and maybe Carlo fits that mould, and maybe after eighteen months trying his hand at a project like Everton and not really making the progress he would have wished for, or we would have wished for, maybe,
2: maybe he might push for that change. It's, it's possible a, a bigger club might might think that way. I don't, I, don't, I can't see a PSG doing it. I think he was wasn't he the only the only manager, the only other manager who didn't win the league for them when he went there. I think he was. Um, I just I can't see there's a club out there at the moment who's desperate to get Ancelotti in. That's that's where I am.
0: The the worrying thing for me with with Carlo is that uh first of all the club actually thinks he's made progress. Yes. Um and who knows around that boardroom what what their views are. Um because if actually if, if what Denise wrote she actually believes uh, and that's consistent with perhaps what Bill Kenwright believes. Uh, whether it's consistent with, with what Marcel thinks, I don't know. Um, but then, then we really do have problems. Well, and I think that we have those problems. You know, and that comes back to the to the, the culture of the, of the organization, the the lack of um, the lack of desire to win. You know, if if, if this really does as they see it, represent clear progress, as as, as the term was used. Um, We are so far away from actually where we need to be in order to become winners. Uh, It's almost impossible to see how we we become winners, uh, both with that board, that that culture that exists within the club, and possibly somebody like Carlo, who um, might just be thinking, well, actually, this is not a bad gig for a few years.
2: (laughs) See that's the bigger the bigger danger isn't it really That's um because he's the, the hollywood name that Mashiri's always wanted that he gets more of a free ride a free ride and and you know things are nice and easy for him than the fact he,
0: that he, he's not going to be hounded out by, the by by the fans um although a season of the home football that we played in front of fans would be interesting to see how much patience uh Evertonians had um, for, <laughs> for that quality of football and that 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 run of results that would that that would certainly be interesting if if history repeated itself uh, next year. But other than that, you know, I'm sure he gets on famously with with Machiri. I'm sure he gets on famously with Bill, um, and clearly with Denise as well. So, it's, to me, that's a, you know, it's it's a huge 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 concern because. You know, this is not necessarily one to talk a huge amount about the finances today, but if you look at the finances of the club and the amount of money that we've spent over Mishiri's period, admittedly less in recent years than we did in the first couple of years that he was here, um, we don't have a huge amount of wriggle room uh, in order to make uh, massive changes. In a sense, we are almost in the position where uh, we have to go with what we've got. Um, I know Carlo said that he wants what three or four players, and that the, uh, the board and Marcel brands are going to back him, but it's it's difficult to see how how we do that financially
1: mm. Paul, I've thought a lot about this whole culture thing in the last week or two. Yep. Because it comes up a great deal you know and 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 I just I, I think it gives Carlo far too easy a ride to blame it on the culture. I really do, and, and, and I, really? you know, I, yeah, I do. I, I, I think that um, it's quite easy to have a pop at Bill and Denise, and, I, and I'm critical of them and have been and will continue to be constructively critical, I hope. But, but I, don't, I don't see how one can lay the sort of performances we've put in this season And the sort of meek surrender that we saw at the Etihad down to the people in the boardroom. I think Carlo, on reflection, and Marcel Brands alongside him, have for the second half of the season gotten away with murder. Uh, This is a world-renowned winning coach. Yeah, that's what he is. And we're talking about two or three players he's improved over the course of 18 months. That is poor.
2: Yeah, and don't people shouldn't get me wrong here. I'm, I'm not saying he's under pressure or, or should be under pressure for his job. Well, I think he should be under pressure, Paul. I think for £10 million a year, getting that squad of players to
1: 10th and a negative goal difference, he should be under pressure.
2: Yeah, I'm not impressed by the job that was done this season. I think that's that's fair to say. Uh, people excuse him a lot because of the squad he's got to work with, and I think that's just a... I think it's a poor excuse, really. I, I think Ancelotti had enough tools to have, to have done better than he has despite the injuries and despite, you know, the no home fans, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't think he's done an amazing job this year, certainly. There's when you no... get
1: that squad to second by Boxing Day, Paul, to finish to finish 10th is is dreadful.
2: Yeah, the squad's good enough not to have lost, not to have only won three of its last 12 games, isn't it? I mean, let's, absolutely.
1: Let's... Absolutely. And I don't know what that, I don't know what that has to do with the boardroom. I mean, it has to do with Marcel Brands because Marcel Brands is meant to be writing reports and doing all sorts of things and talking to Bill four or five times a day. And he's the director of football. But I don't know what it has to do with Bill and what it has to do with Denise.
0: Roger, slightly earlier in the conversation, we talked about, and in fact you talked about, us never winning the games that really count.
1: Yeah.
0: And that has to be beyond coincidence. There has to be a reason for that. There has to be a reason for our total capitulation um in the League Cup quarter final against yeah. Manchester United. Yep. Yeah. Uh you know, we didn't lay we didn't lay a glove on Manchester City in, yeah. in 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 the in the FA Cup. Um and all those games, you know, and we can go back a long way actually.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh where you know, if if we win at Aston Villa, we go top. Remember that one um, yeah. two seasons ago? Yeah. Uh that didn't work. And and it can go through probably a dozen games that you might consider to be key. You know these are, these are the defining moments. These are the moments that sort yeah. of prove you are actually making the progress that you uh, apparently are or yeah. look to be doing. Sort of you know the the the, the um, sort of putting something into the furnace to get it red hot in order to 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 to, to make it stronger. And every time we get to that point, uh, we fail to deliver yeah and as I say, it can't be, it can't be a coincidence. there must be a reason for it. Now, is it because uh, we don't prepare properly for these games in, from a coaching point of view probably not given the, given the coach that we've got uh, Is it because there's not enough experience in the squad again, you know probably not because there are a few, a few players um, in the squad, particularly now who you know have seen it and done it, maybe not at the very highest level. But you know they've been in and around football for a period of time and know what's required in in, in these critical. Do they?
1: Play. Do they? How many players in our first eleven have actually won anything? I, do, apart I don't. James, know. Apart I from apart from Hammers, Hammers and, and
0: Alan, um, Alan, yeah,
1: yeah. Decoré, no, no. DCL, no. Richarlison, no. no. Any of the defenders, no. But they've, you know, there's internationals there that have played but internationals. In, in, internationals are two a penny, you know. I mean, Leicester have probably got eighteen internationals.
2: I, in I'm, just, I'm,
0: I'm just saying there are internationals there that have played in, you know, uh, World Cup semi-finals.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. So they know what's expected of them. But, but the point I'm saying is that sh- you know, the, the, surely they're not coming into this totally naive. They, they must no. know what is expected of them in these critical games that we never hardly ever seemed to deliver. I mean, the, the only one that I can really think of is is, is winning at Anfield. But then, yeah. you know, if you wanted to be totally objective about it, Liverpool were going through the worst uh, home form in their history. So to have not won there might have been questionable. Wow. Um, anyway, it was fantastic that we did. And,
1: and, of course and it was. It was, it was the that. highlight but of the season. But, but this,
0: this is where the um, the culture argument Gathers some momentum and gathers some weight, because Mm -hmm. if we, you know, different groups of players, different managers, different coaches, none of them have been, you know, in recent years have been able to get us uh, through these like really critical points in a season,
2: Mm.
0: and that's and that's why we've not made the progress. You know, we finished tenth, but you know, we beat Fulham at home, and we beat Burnley at home, and everybody's probably going to say, actually, the season's been a success because we're in the Euro- Europa League.
2: I think when you talk about culture, though, culture yeah. comes from more than one place. I understand what you're saying, and I think fingers should be pointed at people above Carlo too. I, I know from, from talking to various different managers every week throughout the season that they all talk about the culture of the club they're at and, and what they have to overcome or what they can draw on in, in terms of strength. And you always hear managers... Um, at clubs who have a, a culture of winning and a history of, of bringing trophies in saying that it's a big strength that you go into a game and you're surrounded by people you've seen do what you're expected to do in that game. They've won games like this. You can see on the walls that you can see in the cabinet where the trophies are. Um, Whereas, if you're at a, at, a, at a different kind of club which hasn't had that sort of success in the last few years, the narrative around you is different and you're suddenly bombarded by stats of failure. You know, this, this club hasn't been in semi finals for X amount of years, or this club hasn't won here in X amount of years. And, and that can be that kind of narrative can have an effect on the players. But you have to say, this is a board that ultimately brought in the Hollywood manager that, um, the, that, the, that the owner wanted and someone with a huge track record of winning who comes from a culture of winning, and it's his job to try and bring that to the club. So ultimately, it does come back, I think, to, to Ancelotti. But I would, I would give you one example. West Ham, OK, didn't finish in the, in the top four, as they hoped. Still had an unbelievable season. We talk about stats, you know, they, they've, they've beaten records that go back to 1986 in terms of how successful this season was for them. None of that has come from the boardroom, really, has it? It hasn't. It, but West Ham have not established a winning culture from the top down. They brought in a manager who's given that club blood, sweat, and tears. Polished, let's say, polished turds, if you like. Um, unearthed little gems, and yeah. I would say don't underestimate doing something like um, the two signings that he made. Suchek and, and Sufal, two two brilliant little players who I hear from people inside West Ham, actually managed to change the culture of that club themselves. Two nobodies that I don't suppose anyone at West Ham would ever have heard of before. A couple of them have played against Suchek and when, when um, you know when his country came to Wembley, but you know I, I doubt anyone any of them remembered him too well. or thought that was an amazing signing, but I'm told by people at West Ham that those two and their professionalism. And the way they approach things in training and their dedication to being great players and winning transformed the culture inside that dressing room. Yeah. So I don't think it's as simple as just saying this must come from the boardroom. I think it can come from other places too. Everton, you would say, have not signed a Suchek and a, and a Sufa. They've gone in a different direction. okay? And they've signed players who gave them things in other areas. They signed a stellar name in Hames, who has been... The fulcrum for everything good creatively the club has done all season when he's been on the pitch, um, but they haven't signed that. They haven't they haven't brought anything of that culture in from the outside that's, that's changed things for me. I, I don't think James is the loudest voice in the dressing room, and I don't think he really leads by example in terms of, you know, the training regime and always being there and all of the rest of it. Um, so I think winning culture can come from different places. At the moment, it's not been, it's not coming from either of those places, I would say.
1: And culture also comes from competition, doesn't it? You know, so young kids chomping at the bit for, for a starting role. I mean, there was an interesting piece. Um, I don't want to uh, necessarily promote other media. Uh, Paul, you'll excuse me, but there was an excellent piece in The Athletic talking about, you know, some dissatisfaction and a, a drop off in morale in the uh, with some of the young players, because just not getting a chance, you know, and Kunku had a couple of breakthrough games, and we didn't see him again until the Etihad. Um, and, and and there just don't seem to have been opportunities, not much competition for places. And coming back to the manager, he stood in dressing rooms ahead of Champions League finals, title deciders, cup finals, and huge games. And you would like to think that he could stand up in front of 11 16 professionals when we're about to play Fulham or Burnley at home or even Sheffield United having already lost the first two of those named and actually inspire them to go out and um, perform Um, as well as having them tactically prepared. And I think sometimes we've been tactically very ill prepared. Just look at our kickoffs. They are pathetic, truly pathetic. And look at the defending against Manchester City, stationary, cone impersonating, two metre rule defending, truly pathetic. Michael Keane dribbling the ball to the halfway line. Who on earth has told him to do that? Ben Godfrey shooting um, in the penultimate game. I think that was, was that Wolves or the Sheffield United game where he took that shot that went over the Gladys Street stand? Um, so you can't, you know, you can't say that, that, that Carlo can escape responsibility. If he can't motivate those players, then get different players. You know, then bring the kids in. But it's the same players. It's the same players week in, week out that, he, that aren't performing and that he's not motivating. And maybe, you know, whilst he's a Hollywood name and whilst he is, clearly his track record speaks for itself, maybe these players, they need more hairdryer than quiet leadership. Maybe.
2: There is an argument for that. I think one of the things about Carly, when, when you listen to people speak about him and about his qualities, um, all the big players he's managed all talk about how he's their friend. He's an arm round the shoulder kind of coach, yeah. and when he's preparing for big games, he has this brilliant ability to relax people in the dressing room to make them, to take to eliminate any kind of nerves um, and send them out feeling ten feet tall. Is he the kind of guy who is going to fire you up to go flying into a tackle or? you know, put your body on the line for your club. He may not be that kind of coach, really, very often. I don't think that's his strength. Um, So I guess it depends what you think these players need in certain situations. But, you know, there are other players, other people at the club you'd think you'd like to think could do that. I mean, I doubt Duncan, Duncan Ferguson is shy of, of an opinion in the dressing room. And if he is at the moment, maybe he should speak up in those situations. But... Different players respond to different things, so it's, it's hard to know really which which approach works best for them the carrot or the stick
0: but we're, we're no different from any other club in that respect that you're no. going to have a group of um, you know different personalities w- w- within within the dressing room that's you know, that's just the nature of, of, of having a, a group together isn't isn't it
2: absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
0: Roger, you said that you know we we hadn't used a, any of the the young kids. Um, I mean, you know, we've obviously had opinions and expressed opinions about the academy and and actually, you know, the purpose of the academy and, and, and what yeah. it produces. Yeah. Um, Paul, is it is is this tip is this typical of of Carlo not not to use
2: youth? Um, I think he he's a manager who likes to rely on people he knows and people of experience. But um, you have to remember he, he did rely quite heavily on young players um, last season and, and he was giving a lot of people a chance. So you can Was that to have a look at them um, in games which he knew were not really going to advance the calls much so he could make a judgment this summer about whether they had a place in the squad or not? Possibly. You know, did you make a decision on people like Anthony Gordon and decide you're not quite good enough for what I need? So go and spend a season on loan and, and prove it. Um, I've seen the stats about um, Everton and how many players under the age of 21 they've used this season. Um, I think that's a little bit arbitrary when you do have some, some fairly young players just approaching their prime in, in key positions in, in the team, playing week in and week out. But... I would I would question really who are all these younger players who think they deserve a place in the Everton first team at the moment? Is there anyone who's who's really stood out in, in other on in other platforms that that deserves a go instead? It's very easy to say, "Oh, these these old guys—they failed. Throw the kids in." But which kids are we talking about really? Does the academy have a, a a recent track record of producing people good enough to slot into those positions? I would argue, really, it probably hasn't. Um, mm. There are two or three exceptions to that, but as an overall rule, who who are the the, the names in the frame? Who you really think mm. could come in and, and, and do a job in the first team? I can't think of many.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it just it, it it kind of riles a little bit when relegated Sheffield United rock up with an untried seventeen-year-old and he scores the winner. You know, um, that that that's the issue. And and yes, they they may not be you know, pulling up trees in the under-23s or the 18s or wherever they're playing. But, but I, you know, when you have players like Bernard and Iwobi coming off the bench and yet Anthony Gordon is, you know, away at Preston, I mean, surely in the better interests of Everton Football Club, Anthony Gordon deserves a place on the bench ahead of Bernard. And surely, you know, Broadhead could have had a few minutes. Um, Ellis Sims seems to have prospered at, at Blackpool what will happen? I'm hearing people say, oh, next season he'll get a loan to a championship team. Well, I mean, he's never going to learn if he doesn't get thrown on for 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. If he doesn't get an opportunity, kids take opportunities, whether it's, you know, Michael Owen at a tender age or Wayne Rooney at 16. If they if they take an opportunity, you know, why not give it to them if, they, if there is mediocrity? And that's what it is, Paul. That's what you've said. You know, we've been consistently mediocre, not in danger of relegation and ultimately not troubling the scorers for European positions, then use the few remaining games that we have to develop and see, uh, because Bernard has had more chances than I've had hot dinners and Iwobi has had far too many. Uh, and I cannot, you know, it is everything that was wrong with that squad, everything that was wrong with it was on display in the final game of the season. And you asked about progress, Paul Esk, as opposed to Paul Brown, you asked about progress. The fact that away to Manchester City, at 5-0 down, we are bringing on Bernard and Alex Iwobi, I would make a strong case that that does not represent progress.
0: Yeah. I, I have a, a little theory about what, why he didn't use the the the, the young players, except entirely, Paul, your argument that perhaps there weren't any really two use that were of sufficiently high standard. Um. I think I think Andelotti was entirely pragmatic throughout throughout the season, um, and he did things that he thought. I, I think he's I think he's probably big into risk management, so he does things that he perceives as being uh, the lowest risk possible. Um, and he probably believed that we were going to get in Europe, and he probably believed that we were going to get into the Europa League, and he probably believed that it was going to be tight, but we we would get there. Yeah, and as a result of that. He didn't feel at any time as if he could sort of loosen the shackles. So either by bringing other players in, if indeed there were any players to be brought in, or indeed in terms of the style of play. So the the fact that we didn't have like a you know a different style from the way that we set up away from home. I think, was actually just an example of his pragmatism, or or at least I I hope that was an example of his pragmatism in the sense that he has got more cards to play. He has got more uh, different different ways of playing, but he just felt that for this season in particular, the most important thing actually was qualifying for Europe and it didn't really matter how we did it and who we did it with as long as we did it.
1: Absolutely. It wouldn't have mattered. But he yeah. didn't do it.
0: But that's the problem. The problem is that he played that game and ultimately his players let him down.
2: Yeah, I think you know, winning was more important than, than blooding some youngsters at the end of the season, wasn't it? Which is why he, why that didn't happen. He was he relied on people he thought could give him more because they have at least been around the block a bit, I guess. And whether that's whether that was right or wrong, I can understand why he did it.
1: Yeah, I just don't see how Bernard and Alex Iwobi increase our chances of winning any game of football.
0: <laughs> yeah, because the, the 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 problem now at the end of the season is that he's had a whole season with these players. He's had expectations of the group as a whole. The group as a whole have come up short on those expectations. Um, what does what does he do now that makes things different for when they all come back? Uh, sometime in July uh, for pre-season.
2: I think I think he needs to decide what sort of team Everton are. There's there's no there's still no clear identity, is there? So I, I think he was forced into that change to go more pragmatic because of circumstances. But if you assume that everyone is fit to start the next season, which is what he'll be hoping for, what does he do to start the season? Does he go back to how they started this one? Or are Everton now a more pragmatic, counter-attacking sort of team? That seems to be the sort of message he's sending out. And I think if that's the way he wants to play next season, fans might have to get used to it. And there could be some frustration at, at the way, at the negative way Everton set up and play against certain teams in, in some matches. But if ultimately that's what he wants them to be, they have to recruit for that style of play and for the formation that he wants, And I think if you listen to the noises coming out of the club, it's going to be another summer of hopefully three or four players coming in and probably no more than that. How much money they'll have to spend will probably depend on who they can sell. Um, And let's face it, there aren't a lot of players on on the books at Everton who are going to command big fees. So it will come down to how much the owner is willing to to put in again. Um, Can this squad be fixed with three or four players? I think that depends who, what kind of player they go for. Um, I know the sort of positions they're, they're looking at and the sort of fees that the players I'm sure they would like might command. Um, but if they can't afford those kind of players, then it's up to Marcel Brands to find the ones slightly further down the list dotted around Europe who might be the little gem who can come in and, and, and change things. But, you know, that, there's no guarantee that that kind of player comes in straight away, hits the ground running and transforms the team. So where do they go? It's a difficult one.
1: I think, um, I think his priority needs to be a captain. A captain who he can rely on to play 30 to 35 league matches a season. Who can set the tone. An outfield player. Could be a defender. Could be a midfielder. Um, who has can quickly command the respect of everyone. And can be the agent for change on the pitch. I think I fear. I, I fear you're correct, uh, Paul Brown, when you say that. We favors a back three, and a back three with two wing backs and two holding midfielders, arguably then only leaves you with three or four attacking players on the pitch, which could make us quite a difficult watch. I think we need, I think we need seven, eight, nine players. Um, four or five, yeah, fine. Maybe that's what we get. But outgoings are crucial. Outgoings to me have been more crucial in every window than incomings, and we just haven't got enough people off the books you know I read in the press that so-and-so is prepared to listen to offers for I wish I saw Everton prepared to listen to offers for Gilfie Sigurdsson and Andre Gomez and Alex Iwobi and Bernard and da 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 I never see that uh, I read that we're in for Wilf Sahar I mean god we should have had him two years ago for the love. Long- I mean he's he's a great player winger pace talented beats a man absolutely marvelous a bit too late to be signing Wilf Sahar now we need talent. We need pace. We need belief. We need youth. We need leadership. I think we need, I think we need five players for our starting eleven, uh, and and I think we need another three or four to strengthen the squad. And that means getting six or seven players out the door, and that's going to be a challenge.
2: If you talk to agents, it's, it's no secret um, that Everton certainly would listen to offers for a large number of players in their squad. So
1: yeah, yeah, sure, but the, the wages are going to be tough, aren't they? And maybe Mashiri's maybe money is better spent, um, you know, making a contribution towards the players' wages at the new club simply to get them out the door um, and to create space and capacity in the squad and competition competition for places. You know, right now, we've got DCL and Richarlison as our strikers. <laughs> that's, that's just a joke. That has to be a joke to compete in a Premier League with those two. Just
2: those two. Well, you might be doing Calvert-Lewin a, a bit of a disservice there. No,
1: no, no, I think he's a great player. No, no, I, I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a total convert. But but if you're going to compete in a Premier League season at the start of next season, more than just that. DCL yeah. and Richarlison, yeah, yeah. It's, it's asking for disaster. You know, Harry Kane, he gets injured, Spurs fall apart. Same thing would happen with <laughs> us if there was no DCL. And I'm not convinced Richarlison will be with us next season. I'm kind of ambivalent whether he is or he isn't. I feel sympathetic for him, but again, he doesn't do himself many favours and he is a saleable asset, so 70, 80 million, probably you cash in on him. I'm scared that DCL might go too. Um, And then, you know, I could see us raising 200 million in outgoing, selling players that
2: are going to be really tough to replace. So... I would be very surprised if anyone wants to pay more than £70 million for Ricarlison after the season he's had, really. I think true, true, fun. Paul, yeah. 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 I, think, I think in many ways, despite the the fact he hasn't scored as many goals as, as Everton would have hoped, um, they still stand or fall on, on whether he's in form or not, unfortunately. Yeah. That, that's a problem for the club, not just because he doesn't score enough goals for whatever reason, but because perhaps his position is a little bit too secure and, and he knows it. Um mm-hmm. I would like to think that that King came in to try and put pressure on Ricollison for his play. It didn't happen because he was, he didn't get any starts ahead of him. Ricollison never came out of the team for him. I think, you know, whatever Carlo thought of him in training, I would like to have seen that happen at least once, I guess for the reasons we just spoke about. He decided he couldn't risk it because he needed his best players on the pitch all the time. But I think Everton definitely need another forward with pace who scores goals, can play in more than one position and genuinely put pressure on And if he's staying. Um, but from the way Carlo's talking, he seems to want um, a deep lying ball playing midfielder to come in. That, that's what I'm. Tell me who fits what? that bill. Not, not necessarily that we'd get, but give me a kind of player then. Well, two, me players, name. two players who transform the team straight away in that, in that mould, but might be out of reach for Everton. Might yeah. or not. The first two examples I can think of who already play in the Premier League Calvin Phillips at Leeds, yeah. and Ruben Neves at Wolves. Hmm. Um, what, both young enough, both approaching or in their primes. Um, we all know about Calvin Phillips. He absolutely ran the show against Everton in the first game he played this season. England player, he's going to play at the Euros. I think his range of passing, his discipline, um, the way he can run a game is, is absolutely exceptional. How much they, how much he would cost, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he's the jewel in the crown for them, so it makes no absolutely no sense for Leeds to even entertain bids. Yeah. But that is clearly the style of of player that Carlo's talking about, I think. And would, never, would, would you, yeah.
0: you want to come across? Sorry, to so across your ball. Would you want to come come across the pennines
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, going be,
0: from Leeds to to Everton is.
2: The outcome factor is, is going to be a factor, isn't it yeah. players who play for him obviously love playing for that coach would he be, Would he expect that a club like Everton could match his ambitions? I mean obviously Leeds finished above Everton this year, only on um, goal difference. But would he think he has more chance of winning trophies over the long term with everton? I, I would say probably would um, just because the budget there is going to be different, and the ambition seems to be a little higher. Um, But whether he would be interested in that or not, I couldn't say. Neves, though, I think he's 24. He led Wolves in tackles, interceptions and shots this season. Again, a range of passing that the team lacks. Loves a diagonal ball, which is exactly what Carlo wants from the player in in that position. I just think if there's one position that he thinks is going to change this team the most, it's not another right-back. It's not a pacey forward who scores goals. It's not a commanding centre back. I think he wants someone in that midfield who can stay where he is, but has a great range of passing and can run a game from there. That, that's what he seems to be alluding to at the moment. And how know, does he,
1: that differ from a land then? So not a ball winner, not a box to box to core. Is it more of a Luka Modric? Is it is it is it more of a Jordan Henderson? Who
2: is yeah, it? or, or even a, even a Gareth Barry. I, I think that would oh, give yeah, yeah, a good yeah. balance because at the moment the three midfielders, four midfielders he plays are all very similar. He played Mm. three to start the season. He had Alan de and Gomez in there. They were all interchanging and swapping positions and doing a bit of everything. It worked. But as a three, they are all a little bit similar. Gomez is the one with the passing vision who likes to go forward a bit more, but he's incredibly erratic at times and makes terrible decisions. And And very slow. Um, So I think if you play those three... You can't rely on Gomez to be the one sitting and building the play. You have to let the three mingle and go where they will. But if you had one player who is the the first person they look to to play out from the back... And they don't have it because at times he's played Sigurdsson there or, or Sigurdsson yeah, yeah. further forward mm-hmm. and dropping in when they have goal kicks to be the first receiver. So he doesn't trust people like Alan and Decoré to do that. If you had someone like a Ruben Neves or a Calvin Phillips in there, mm. you could play a Decoré and Alan either side of them. You could, even play a, you could even play a Diamond with four at the back then and have the two of them as box-to-box players, going out fighting fires, winning the ball, pressing, which I think is also a, the best position for Tom Davis. I don't think Tom Davis likes to sit in front of a back four, I think he likes to get about, you know, be an engine, play one twos, get forward when he can, close people down. Um, that could work. Whether they'll find someone like that, I don't know. It, it could cost you 40 million or more to bring in someone like that. And then how much of the budget do you have left? It depends who you can sell. So mm. you know, but, but I, someone- I get the feeling that's the kind of player he wants. He doesn't think Alan is someone who you can build the play through, um, and the club would obviously argue, look, you bought two midfielders last summer. Why do you want another one? That's the the big, the big sticking point. Are we talking
1: someone like a Milivojevic at Crystal
2: Palace? No, I think he's he's just a, a classic sitter breaker up of play. I don't think right. he's got much passing range or, or vision. I right. think we want someone who, you know, has the range of a Gareth Barry and the legs of a, of a Calvin Phillips. You know, a Phillips, both. So you know, it's a disservice to him to mention that in the same. Mention that player in the same breath, really, but you, you can tell what I mean, can't you? I think that's the profile.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, it? yeah. So, so what about Anguissa at Fulham or Basuma at Brighton? See, I don't think either of those really fit the bill either. I think they're, why not? I think they're um, more kind of box-to-box types with an engine. Okay. I don't think their their passing range is quite the profile either. I think he, I think he needs a passer. I think the the defensive side of it. The, the tackling and the, all the rest of it is, is secondary because you'd have you'd have players like that either side of this player. So you'd, you'd want more, as, as he had at Milan with, with Pirlo, someone who can build the play. Obviously, they're not going to sign a Pirlo, but someone more in that mould. If you have two box-to-box tackle all-energy all, in, all energy players either side of him, okay. Could, at the moment, watching Everton's midfield the last few weeks, there's no balance because they're all trying to do the same thing. There's no one... If one player drops deep to receive the ball, the other one's not really sure whether to go or or stick with him. you know i I don't see a balance in that midfield they're all too similar and that may have been a mistake last summer that they they signed players who were a little bit too similar um I think they I think Alan and Decore both improved the team, but you have to find someone else in that midfield that creates the balance and he tried it with Gomez and it hasn't worked so there has to be a replacement for the Gomez type player for me. Interesting. An and age to
1: profile be. is uh, the age is going to be really crucial, isn't it? You know, Carlo is going to tend to want somebody m- mid twenties, even late twenties, proven, as opposed to a younger, early twenties, hungrier, younger player.
2: Well, it, it depends where you look. I mean, both those players I mentioned, Neves, I think he's twenty four. Yeah, Philip, you couldn't argue he's, he's unproven. Could you? He's in England. Regular. No, 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 no. Those two would be fine. I'm just not sure. That's the sort of profile
1: Carlo wants. I hope you're right, because we need to lower the average age of this squad.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The other position he's mentioned has been that that dominant centre-back. But I think, again, if he's so worried about Everton building the play and he wants to play with a three, then he's going to need that player in in the middle of the three who can bring the ball out and has a passing range. The way Conte dropped David Luiz in there, that kind of player. Carlo's tried it with Yerimina. Um, Yerimina does a passable job there in the middle of a three at times. I still think he switches off a bit too much and isn't quick enough to cover when when it breaks down. And I don't think his passing is good enough to be a dominant enough player in there. But Carlo had, for instance... Koulibaly at, at Napoli, and you know, I'm not saying they're going to suddenly go out and, and try and sign him, he's 29 as well, I believe. Um, but if he's talking about having you know a centre back who can build the play, then that is the kind of person I suspect he's looking for. Mm. I would suggest, if you want to throw another name in there, that as they tried really hard to get Tamori on loan last season, that he may not be out of the running either. I mean, Milan had I think a 26 million option on. On Samori, Whether he's someone who would play in the middle of a three, I don't know. But he's certainly someone who's better on the ball than um, some of the defenders Carlo has now. And I know that he's still highly thought of at, at the club, whether he'd even consider Everton, I don't know. But I'm, I'm just saying that's probably the profile of of player he's looking for for that position.
0: And if we were to release um, Richarlison, because A, he might want to go and... Um, B, we we might need um the funds that he he would provide if he did go
2: i think the problem there is you 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 already need another forward putting pressure on that position yeah you the need, need too yeah with pace to stretch the to stretch another team's back four because this team is very one paced um outside of Ricardo and there isn't anyone who strikes fear into the opposition on the break. And you could argue perhaps he doesn't either sometimes, but at least he gives it a go and he is quick. So if you were to lose that, that player with, the only player really with those assets you have in the team, you would really need two to replace him. you hmm. will need someone of that of that ilk in the squad, whether he plays or not every week. And to lose one, you know, you, you I don't think you could just replace like for like in that position because they don't have enough pace in this team there's quite
1: a bit of lobbying for Danny Ings what do you think about that as a replacement or as you know take take let's say Danny Ings and 30 million and you lose Richarlison
2: um, even if they were to go for him I'm not sure he's quite the right profile a little bit older how many mm. games does he play in, in a season and I wouldn't say he is lightning quick either I mean he's, he's a great goal scorer a brilliant finisher And I'm sure he would score goals in in a team like Everton. I'm sure he'd score goals in in most teams. But I don't think for the sort of money it would cost to to sign him, it's probably worth Everton doing, frankly.
1: Mm. We need Brentford to lose the playoff final, don't we? And then go after Tony.
2: I do think Brands must be looking in in the Championship for the next next big thing. Um, But you tend to pay a premium for... The players on the upcoming coming out of that league so uh, it all
1: comes
2: it all comes down to the budget which of these positions are are more important to fill and, and who's in charge of deciding that's my question that's my next question who has the final say who has the final say
1: is it carlo is it marsh is it bill or is it marcel
2: well ultimately Mashiri has the final say because he's writing the checks um you just hope that he doesn't turn up this summer at the end of the window and tell them to sign someone they didn't previously have in mind. Um,
1: <laughs> who, who's at Arsenal?
2: Yeah, But I, but I come I come back to this point that Carlo's got to make a decision first on what sort of team they are. Yeah, of course, you're right. That has to be the order of and things. Then, yeah. And then you recruit for those positions. Now, I might, this is guesswork on my part, but from reading between the lines of what he's said the last few weeks, I would suggest the two positions he's most concerned about are the ones... Um, which are in control of building the play from the back. And that is, you know, in a three, if you play three at the back, the central centre, the central central defender and um, the pivot midfielder who just sits as the anchor and can spray passes around and pick players out. Those would, if if that's what he wants and he's decided this is the way to go, which I would suggest is what he's hinting at, those are the two positions I think he will fill. But again... (laughs) They're the positions we've signed players in the last few summers. So the board might think, well, you know, we signed you a player for that position, and we signed you a player for that position. Why do we need to go again there? I think there's there might be some tension deciding what sort of team Everton are and what positions they really do target this summer. I'd love uh, to be fly on the wall on those conversations. But I wouldn't we all? <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. Hmm. All right, interesting conversation. I think um, probably come to a point where we should stop. We've been talking for an hour or so. Um, it's clear that uh, everybody at Everton has got their work the, the work cut out this, this summer in in very difficult circumstances. I think.
1: Yeah, and we've got a whole plethora of players going out to play international football that may enhance or not their reputations and actually we know don't we from experience uh Paul that 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 summers with international tournaments euros and copper america happening they're the hardest ones to actually get transfers done in
0: yeah yeah I mean I, I suspect it's going to be later in in the in in the window where most of the activity takes place I think again just from a financial point of view. If Everton are going to sign, uh, sell Moyes Keane, they'd probably like to do it in June rather than yeah. after June. Yeah. So that it falls into this uh, financial year. Um, but yeah, the bulk of it is going to be done after the tournaments have finished for sure.
2: I think if Everton can sell Moyes Keane, get some money for Bernard, who is clearly up for sale. And because they're already losing several players who are out of contracts who will come off the wage bill. If they could sell one more player added to those two for reasonable fees, I think they'd be reasonably happy in this market. And that's not going to raise enough funds to fix all the problems in the squad that we just talked about, but it might raise half of them. And then if the owner decides to put in the rest, I think that the sort of players we were talking about before become possible for the budget. But, you know, we'll see
0: this i mean this is a conversation for another time but i think there's a real issue with uh except that obviously with some some players leaving that you know we do leave we do lose some of the wages but um just to keep adding to our costs year in year out is is just madness really because it just increases our losses because until the stadium is built you know our income is not going to improve and I'm pretty sure one of the reasons why they were so keen to get into Europe this year was because of the additional revenue that Europe brings, which clearly now it's not going to. But, you know, the 20 million or so that we would have got even from being in Europa just through to the end of the group stage, uh, not even had we advanced any further than that, uh, would, have, would have given a little, a little bit more wriggle room. But we don't have it.
2: No, and, and that's where you know you talk about failure, isn't it? Because that's that was the that was the target, and it, it didn't happen. And this is, these are the consequences.
0: Yep, exactly. All right, Well, it's going to be an interesting summer. Are, are, are you off to um, well, off to the, Euros, the, the? Most of them are going to be in the UK anyway. Are, are you uh, you working over the summer, Paul?
2: yeah I'll be doing England as part of the, um, the team on that, so I, I probably won't be traveling very much <laughs> in the scheme of things, but whether anyone will, will travel too much, I don't know this. this Euros is completely different from a media perspective. It's very hard to get accredited to travel around to the different stadiums, and I think you'll find that that most media companies basically stay at home, which may not be a bad thing for various reasons really.:
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, thanks for your time. Um, thank you, Roger.
1: Thank you. Pleasure. Do you have one last thing? One last thing. Um, one last thing. I think. I think Paul's really hit it when he says that Carlo wants a couple of key players and a couple of key positions to change the style of play and 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 make us more successful. Um, and therefore, I would say to Evertonians to have a very open mind in terms of who may or may not be sold because it might be just might be somebody like Luca dinia could go for a quite substantial amount of cash for his proportionate importance in Carlo's style of play. Hmm. Um, you know, And if you could make a decent profit on him and fill one of those other holes and then you've maybe gotten Kunku to play left wing back, um, whilst it may seem absolutely ridiculous to talk about getting rid of Dina because he has played very well. Um, maybe we do have some other gems that we can sell at a premium. And and we just have to trade smartly. We have to get as many out the door as we can, as many profitable transactions as we can. Um, And I just hope that Marcel and Carlo can agree on both a player profile and a style of play. And my one last thing would be, in fact, that we need to sign people of the right attitude of the right character of the right personality because as paul touched on with the signings of Sufal and Suchek, changing the culture within the west ham dressing room we need a couple of people to change our dressing room culture because that whether it comes down from the board or not that is altogether too soft and we have to get much tougher much more snide much more professionally proud of the performances we put in whether it's the first game of the season or the
2: last yeah, if you want a, final, a quick final thought from me, I think ultimately, look, Carlo Ancelotti is a great manager. I have a lot of respect for him, and he's done great things in the game. This season, he's failed, but Carlo Ancelotti is better than this. Carlo Ancelotti knows what he wants. Everton should bend over backwards to give it to him, and there is no reason why next season Carlo Ancelotti doesn't prove himself the great manager that he is. So let's see what happens.
0: Well said, Paul. Okay, gents. Very well said.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Carlo Fantastico.
0: <laughs> Indeed. All right, gents. Thanks, thanks so much for your time. Um, I hope people listening to this have enjoyed it. And um, no doubt we'll speak later later in the summer when uh, what we've spoken about might or might not have happened. So uh, in the meantime, uh, safe travelling, Paul, if you do travel around with England. Thank you. And um, enjoy the tournament.